0: Now, if you'll turn back to 1 Kings chapter 20, uh, the text is 1 Kings 21, but we're studying the life of Elijah. And uh, as we're doing that, his story picks up. We were in 19 last week, his story picks up in chapter 21. But I want us to look quickly at the events that happened here in chapter 20. They show us that God is in control of nations and kings, even those nations and kings who are wicked. And he does what he says he will do. And what he does is just and right. Title of the message, God Keeps His Word. There are two battles uh, recorded in chapter 20 that took place a year apart. We're just going to hit some highlights of those. Even though Ahab was a wicked king, God was protecting the children of Israel from the nation of Syria. Ben-Hadad was the king of Syria. He made a league with 32 kings and uh, attacked Israel. And so in this chapter, we have those two attacks, those two battles. Let's look at, uh, first of all, verses 3 and 4 and see how Ahab responded when Ben-Hadad sent him a letter uh, that was threatening him. He says in verse 3, Thy silver and thy gold is mine, thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest are mine. And we see uh, the, the answer that Ahab writes or sends, verse 4, And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. (laughs) Just like that, Ahab is ready to just capitulate, give everything over to the king of Syria. The elders and the children of Israel were against that. In verse 8, they told him, Don't listen to him. Hearken not unto him, nor consent. And God sent a prophet to Ahab, In verse 13, he said, Thus saith the Lord, hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. And God did exactly what he said he would do. If you follow down the text to verse 21 of chapter 20, the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. A year later, Ben-Hadad mounted another attack. And his military strategist said, Israel, Israel's God is a God of the hills, that's why we lost. So this time, let's fight them in the plains. And the Israelites uh, in this battle were grossly outnumbered. In verse 27, the second half, it says, The children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids, but the Syrians filled the country. If you go down to verses 29 and 30, it tells us, the, the size of Syria's army, 100,000 foot soldiers, and 27,000 more who ran to escape Israel. Israel had 7,000 soldiers, 232 princes or leaders, captains of those soldiers. That makes the odds roughly 127,000 to 7,000, 17.5 to 1. There's a wonderful truth that we have as, as believers as we look at that, the size and strength of the enemy may seem insurmountable, but none of that matters when the Lord of hosts fights for you. We have the New Testament concept in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And a few verses later, it goes on to say, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Again, God told Ahab that Israel would win the battle. In verse 28, there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus saith the Lord, because the Syrians have said that the Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not the God of the valleys, therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And again, God was true to his word. Verses 29 and 30 tell us that the 100,000 footmen, those soldiers, were slain in one day, and the 27,000 that were left remaining ran to a nearby city, and a a wall fell on them and killed them all. But Ahab made a huge mistake. He spared Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. And a prophet disguised himself as a wounded soldier and told Ahab that he as a soldier had allowed a man in his captivity, a prisoner, to escape. And Ahab gave the sentence for this supposed soldier's punishment. He says, it's your life for his. And then the prophet wiped the ashes off of his face, and he said, you've decided your own case. You've pronounced your own judgment. the chapter ends in verses 42 and 43. He said unto him, thus saith the Lord, because thou hast let go out of thy hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction. That's Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Therefore, thy life shall go for his life, and thy people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, heavy and displeased, and came to Samaria. He had heard, thus saith the Lord, in the first battle, verse 13, you'll defeat the Syrians. And they did. The second time he went against Syria, God said in verse 28, I will deliver this multitude into your hand. And he did. And now God spoke this word and said, your life will go for his life. And God will keep his word. And the next time you'll hear those words, those same words, thus saith the Lord, or that Ahab hears those words, it's when he takes possession of Naboth's vineyard. And that's what chapter 21 is all about. God does what he says he will do. And what he does is just and right. That truth, he's never changing. He's always the same. That truth is always the same. It's the same today. It's true. And that truth will either comfort you or it will bring conviction. It will comfort you if you know that you're doing what God says for you to do, to live the way he tells you to to live in, in in his word. But if you're being disobedient, that truth will bring conviction. In chapter 21 of 1 Kings, we come to the story of Naboth's vineyard. And the story consists of two parts. There is this crime against Naboth, and there is a punishment for that crime. The crime is seen in verses 1 through 16, the rest of the chapter, the punishment. Ahab coveted a vineyard that wasn't his, verses 1 through 3. Let's read that in chapter 21. And it came to pass after these things, after those two battles, as time had passed, that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or, if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. What do we know about this vineyard? First of all, we see that it was in Jezreel. That reminds us of the place that Ahab was riding his chariot, and Elijah outran the chariot to Jezreel after the battle at Mount Carmel. It was right next door to the palace of King Ahab. The wording there in verses 1 through 3, in verse 1 it said it was hard by the palace. It was right up next to it. And secondly, in verse 2, it was near unto his house, the house of the king. Ahab wanted it so that he could grow herbs or vegetables. In verse 2, he said, give me thy vineyard that I may have it. Now when you think about, this is the same king that back in chapter 20 was ready to give everything over to Ben-Hadad when he threatened him. Naboth wouldn't sell it. Verse 3, he said, the Lord forbid it me. He wouldn't sell his house because he already knew that it belonged to God. say, how do you know that? Well, back in the book of Leviticus, God is speaking in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23. And God says, the land shall not be sold forever. That means don't ever sell it. For the land is mine. Ye are strangers and sojourners with me. He wouldn't sell it because it was the inheritance of his father's. By God's law, given through Moses, Canaan belonged to God, but the Israelites were tenants. In times of poverty or lack, they could lease the land, but it would return back to their family in the year of Jubilee. Again, let me just bring up a wonderful truth that's here a principle of stewardship that we can learn from in this text as we go along. We need to get to a place in our lives where we realize God owns everything. He he entrusts us with things. And that's the way we need to look at material possessions. They're all gods. But he entrusts them to us as stewards. So a Christian really can't say, it's my money, I earned it, I can spend it however I want. Nor can he say, it's my body, I can do with it what I want. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. What a phrase. Ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We need to get to the place where we know it all belongs to God, and that principle is here with Naboth's vineyard. Well, what did Ahab do? Uh, He pouted because he couldn't get what he wanted. It's unfortunate when those of us who are older still take up those childish traits. Ahab was like that, verses four through six. It says, And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. As Ron Hamilton in Patch the Pirate uh, uh, music says, he had the poochy lip disease. (laughs) It's a great song. Ahab was heavy. And displeased. Heavy means he was heavy with sadness. Displeased means that he was angry about the way this turned out. These emotional signs of discontent are not new for Ahab. We've seen them before. They're the same words that describe him in chapter 20, verse 43, when the prophet told him that he was going to pay life for life for Ben-Hadad, for letting Ben-Hadad go free. He was heavy and displeased. He sulked like a petulant child who didn't get his way, laid on his bed, turned away his face, refused to eat. You know, a person who just focuses on the material things in life is not going to be happy very often. Materialism brings the illusions of happiness, but things will never satisfy you in your heart, deep down in your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 26, Or what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Ahab then complained to his wife. And in doing that, he just retells this whole story. This is the third time we've read it now, in verses 5 through 6. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, and you can almost hear the whine in his voice as we read the words, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. When you think about it and you look back at the record, Naboth said, The Lord forbid it me that I should give thee the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. It wasn't that I'm not going to give it to you. There was a reason in that. It was a godly reason. Jezebel then contrived a plan to get the land. We don't have time to read all the verses 7 through 16, but let's hit the high points. Verse 7, Jezebel, his wife, said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. I will give it. It wasn't hers to give. Her plan obtained... To obtain the land is is in verses 8 through 14. She forged letters in verse 8 to the elders of the nobles of the city as though Ahab had written them. She autographed them and sealed them with his kingly seal. In verses 9 through 10, she had them proclaim a fast. A fast being proclaimed, not a feast, but we're not going to eat until this is taken care of. This is something very serious. Then Naboth was brought forward, and two men made an accusa- accusation against him. The word uh, of seating there, of both of Naboth and, and his witnesses, the witnesses, indicates that this was a seating in a legal trial. This is a courtroom setting. Jezebel hired two false witnesses. In verse 12, they're referred to as the children of Belial, or worthless men. They, they were just hired by... Jezebel, to say that Naboth blasphemed God and blasphemed the king. And he'd be punished for that. In verses 13 through 14, her plan was carried out and Naboth was killed. And we look at the outcome and we say, it looks like they got away with it. Naboth was killed. He lost his land and his life. And sometimes it looks like evil men don't get punished for the evil that they do. And it seems like they get away with it. And it's not unusual that innocent and good people suffer wrongfully. But we can be sure that God is just. And God will keep his word. Here's a mockery of justice, a a manipulation of the law. But the gavel of God's perfect justice has not yet fallen. And God will always have the final word. There's a well-known line that was written by uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, but may not have been original with him. His lines were these, Though the mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceeding small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness grinds he all. And eventually, every action of man will come under the divine judgment of God. Jezebel's apparent success is seen in verses 15 through 16. It came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab arose, to up, arose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. It was an empty possession. Naboth is dead. It says that Ahab rose up to take the possession of the vineyard, and he's in the garden looking at what he now thought was his. But God told Elijah to meet Ahab there. The Word of God carefully describes this place as the vineyard of Naboth. It's never described as the garden or the plot of Ahab. Well, that's the crime that took place. The punishment is is read about in verses seventeen through twenty-one. Ahab was confronted by Elijah. The word of the Lord, verse 17, came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. I find it very interesting that Jezebel said to Ahab in verse fifteen Arise, take possession. And God says to Elijah in verse 18, Arise, go down to meet Ahab. God orchestrates everything. And in his perfect time and in his perfect justice, he will work his will. Ahab arrived at the vineyard to claim it as his own. Jehu, his captain, Bidker, uh, that were both with him, God will use them to bring about the punishment on Ahab. Now, in verse 19, we read, and thou shalt speak unto him, saying, that is, God's telling Elijah still, this is what you're going to say to Ahab, thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. When Ahab heard that, thus saith the Lord, he had been well aware that what God said came to pass. Do you think he enjoyed the stolen vineyard for one moment with a decree like that hanging over his head? Verse 20, Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? Remember when, he, when they met in the famine? Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Elijah delivered the message of punishment that God would bring according to the word of the Lord. And God promised to bring evil upon Ahab and not only upon him but on his sons, his posterity in verses 21 and 22. They would be cut off. And 14 years after Ahab's death, the 70 sons and the grandsons of Ahab were slain. And God also promised that the dogs would consume Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel that very city, verses 23 and 24. And 20 years after Ahab's death, Jezebel was finally killed. Their wickedness is summarized in chapter 21, verses 25 and 26. But there was none like unto Ahab which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things, as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. You say, what a tragic thing. We find an interesting response that Ahab has. He humbles himself. It's not a humility that leads to repentance. He felt bad that he was caught. He had remorse, but not repentance. But notice what God does with Ahab as he humbled himself. Verses 27 through 9. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes, put on sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted, and lay in sackcloth, and went softly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days but in his son's days will I bring evil upon his house. God saw his humility, and he held back the punishment that would eventually come. Now, as you, as you see something like that in Scripture, it's often tempting to be like Jonah and say, you know, the Ninevites deserve to be killed. And, and, and when God spared the Ninevites, remember what Jonah said? I knew you were gracious. I knew you were merciful. Also in the New Testament, we have the example of the older brother, of the prodigal son. He said to his father, you never killed a calf and made a celebration for me. Why are you forgiving this son who's a sinner? He's wasted his life. So let's not make those mistakes. God was giving Ahab one more opportunity to recognize that he was indeed the true God. And we need to be grateful for his grace and for his mercy that none of us deserve. There's a great quote from William Taylor about this section. He writes, If God were so considerate to Ahab, the idolater, the murderer, the thief, will he not regard thee, O thou tearful one? But go at once for it, After all this feeling on Ahab's part, his repentance was yet only temporary, and he perished at last. How knowest thou that it may not be so with thee if thou delay? Felix trembled before Paul, as Ahab did here before Elijah, and yet he too went no further. Agrippa was almost persuaded, but the almost never became the altogether. Let These beacons on the roaring reef of procrastination warn thee of thy danger. Let thy repentance be no more regret for sin, but a loving and immediate acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of thy soul and the Lord of thy life. Well, in the end, God's words were fulfilled about Ahab. In chapter 22, if we go ahead to 1 Kings 22 and verses 34 and 35, we read about the fulfillment. Ahab went into battle disguised as Jehoshaphat for fear of his life. And it says in verse 34, And a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said, unto the, he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded." And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even, and the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot. The joints of the harness. A bow at a venture. The place where the armor joined. God directed this random arrow to fulfill his judgment. Verse 38 and one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord which he spake. And it was in the exact place where God said it would take place, Naboth's plot of ground. Just as he said in 1 Kings twenty-one nineteen. Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. If we go to the next book of Kings, the 2nd Kings in chapter 9, we'll read more of the fulfillment of God's word. 2nd Kings chapter 9 and verse 26, surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, the Lord is speaking here. And I will requite thee on this plat or this plot, saith the Lord. Now therefore take him, or take, and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. If you go down to verses 30 through 33, Jehu came to Jezreel. The Bible says that Jezebel painted her face and teared up her hair and looked out of a window. And Jehu called the men to throw her down to her death, and they did. And he sent some to bury her, but they came back and told him she'd already been eaten by dogs. And Jehu's words are recorded in verses 36 and 37. This, Jehu says, this is the word of the Lord which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite. God does what he says. And what he does is just and right. Someday, every man will stand before God and be judged by everything that he's done. Every action, every word, every thought, every motive. Galatians tells us, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Those who reject the salvation that God provides through his Son will be punished. Those who trust Jesus as their Savior will have eternal life and eternal joy. Right now, he's waiting for you to turn to him and find mercy would you respond to his call today let's pray father in heaven as we have read about elijah and his encounter with ahab at the end of ahab and jezebel's lives we understand that you do what you will say that you what you say you will do and everything that you do is just it's the right thing to do And I pray that today we'll hear your voice, the word of the Lord, and know that your word says that if we trust Christ as our savior, we'll have eternal life. And if not, we won't. And so I pray that you would speak to that heart today as you already have through your word and through your spirit's convicting power, and draw that person who is outside of the grace of God, uncertain of salvation, not sure of their eternal home, that you'll draw them into salvation and faith in Christ today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.